And so I think thinking about your role in terms of your being of service, you know, you're really there to help everything operate smoothly and keep the trains running and do that in such a way that you're, we, we like to call it work joy at up level. You know, we're bringing work joy to people and making them a lot happier. We're reducing friction points. And so that makes people a lot happier. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and with me today is Steph Corey, who's the CEO and co-founder of Uplevel Ops, among other things. So Steph, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell us a bit about your background and your current role. And I also would love to hear about some of the organizations that you have uh, helped found. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Seth. I really appreciate it. This is going to be fun. So a little bit of background. I'll try to keep it short so as not to bore the audience. But I think like a lot of legal operations managers, I kind of found myself in this role. I certainly did not expect to spend my entire career supporting lawyers. And I came from the finance world. So I you know, did an internship at Merrill Lynch. After getting my undergrad, I got an MBA and then headed into the financial realm and had my brokerage licenses, got all of that stuff done. And really discovered that I didn't love it, frankly. And it's funny because I find myself giving that advice to, I have college age kids now. And so, you know, they really don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And I'm talking to them about, you know, just try stuff. And sometimes figuring out what you don't like is just certainly a fine path to go down. And then you kind of go from there. And and that's what really happened. I was in the finance world. I wasn't really having any fun. And a friend of mine told me about this role at HP, and it was called Legal Operations. And, and it was really focused around finance and, and budgeting and understanding outside counsel spend. And I thought, you know, I think I can do this. And, and so I ended up interviewing. I got the job and, and was really lucky to find myself at HP during that time because the company was so focused on training people and developing their employees. And I worked in a very supportive environment where each of the deputy general counsels really spent time with me explaining, you know, what each function did within legal, what each of the groups was responsible for, how they interacted with literally everything that happens within the company. And I just had no idea the breadth that legal departments really, you know, work through in corporations. You know, they do everything from product development to marketing. I mean, legal has some touch there. And certainly going into a legal role where I'd never been exposed to anything like that before, I just didn't understand, you know, the things that I would be seeing. And it was so fascinating. And I ended up spending, you know, over a decade there after I thought, oh, I'll spend a year or two in legal and then move into one of the businesses. But I spent over a decade in that role. And the department changed drastically going from 200 people when I joined to 1200 people by the time I'd left. So a lot of growth and acquisitions and all that stuff. And during my time there, I was promoted from legal operations manager to this role called chief of staff. I was super thrilled to be promoted, but really had no idea what that entailed. So I started reaching out to other organizations to see if they had this role in place. And that's when I was introduced to the early clock founders. Wasn't clock at the time, obviously. It was other folks just like me who are struggling with a lot of the same issues. And so I met Connie Brenton, who was at NetApp, and Mario Carroll, who was at Google, and Brian Hupp, who was at Electronic Arts, and all the other folks. 
And we had our very first meeting at the HP offices. I think it was back in 2010. And that was really the genesis of Clock, which I'm sure the listeners have heard of because I doubt they'd be listening to a podcast about legal operations if they didn't know the Clock organization. And, you know, what we found was there was about 12 of us or 13 of us in this room together, and we were all struggling with the same issues. And it was so great to have a small group of people that we could really commiserate with and understand, you know, what they were doing to solve problems. And so it was really a great way for me to grow personally, because there's nobody else in a 300,000 person, you know, company, there was nobody else who was doing what I was doing. And so really, the only way for me to expand and learn was to go outside of the organization. And that's why I feel that networking is so critical to this role and really, you know, sharing with others what you're doing, but also learning from others about what they're doing and what's working. Um, And so after my days at HP, I moved to VMware briefly. And then my last in-house role was Flextronics. And then seven years ago, my GC announced he was going to retire from Flex. I adored him. We worked together really closely at HP. And I kind of twisted his arm and said, hey, instead of retiring, why don't we go and do this as a consulting gig? And so for the last seven years, you know, we've been going around and consulting with companies to help them get their legal operations in order. We do, you know, assessments and help folks figure out their three to five year roadmaps and do tech implementations and all that good stuff. But really, our goal now is to help legal departments figure out what work they really should be doing with strategic what they can be outsourcing or automating or stopping altogether. And then, of course, you know, what what it, it, they should be outsourcing to outside counsel, but maybe, you know, less because that ends up being really expensive. And so, you know, we work with all kinds of legal departments on that stuff. But I think I rambled a little bit. But we also, you know, w- one of the things that I realized when I was kind of working with new legal ops managers, which we spend a lot of time doing in our up-level role, was that there was a need for networking for them as well. Not like Clock now has become this enormous organization. It's fabulous. It is open to everyone, which I think is important because everybody really does need a place to go. But I missed, and I know a lot of my colleagues missed, having those smaller get-togethers where there is only, you know, 15 to 20 people in a room talking through things. And so with my partner, Andrew Dick, on the link side, we started the Legal Innovators Network, which is an organization designed specifically for senior legal ops folks. And so we continue that tradition of like getting people together in small communities and talking and so continuing to learn from each other. Seth, how is that for a very long answer to what I said would be an abbreviated? <laughs> no, that, that's great. Well, and as I said, I think before we hit record, you know, it's not every day we get to talk to founder folks who have been so key to these organizations so many people are part of. So I, I think it's always a little bit of a treat to just get a little bit of behind the scenes and get to know those names and faces a little bit. So your ops company serves legal, which is a field full of people who are notoriously slow to adopt change, especially technological sorts of changes. So How do you begin to persuade lawyers to move away from traditional ways of doing things? Like, what are the arguments you make to them? Yeah, that's such a good question. It is a really tough environment to get. Look, change is hard in no matter what you do. Change is always a challenge. 
but with a group of people like lawyers who I think are probably, you know, it's probably a self-selecting group of people who go to law school anyway, right? They probably tend to be a little more on the conservative side. And then law school certainly doesn't, you know, make them super open to change. Everything is based on precedent and, you know, what happened in the 1800s with case law and all of that. And so I think it, it, you're right. I think, it, you know, this group of people, they do tend to be a little less open to change and innovation and trying new things, especially if it's a proven way that things have always worked, right? I, I mean, I think the hourly bill is such a great example of that. You know, I've been talking about the death of the hourly bill for 20 years, saying it's coming. And still, I think 80 something percent of, you know, invoices are, are based on hourly bills. So it is a challenge. I think just like in any other area, I think the one really important thing for ops managers to think about is making it important to them, right? This is the premise of change management, of successful change management. You've really got to make what you're trying to sell important to the person who's going to be buying it. And so if there's something that you're trying to do in your department, it's not enough to say, hey, this is going to save us money or this is going to make you more efficient. Unless they're complaining to you, it's not something that they care about. And so I think, you know, what we always counsel ops managers on is really listen hard and interview, right? Like go and talk to people and listen to them about where their biggest complaints are. And then that's how you come up with a solution. And so if they're complaining, like I'm drowning in emails. Okay, maybe it, it, so their problem is email. It's it's killing all of us. So I, I can completely relate. Well, one of the solutions that we know works is implementing a workflow tool, an intake and workflow tool, right? And so then you're not trying to recreate everything in your email, like what's the status update, all of that stuff. So you've got to dig in. And when they say I'm drowning in emails, okay, why? What kinds of emails are you getting? Are they requests from clients? Are you trying to go through and recreate those statuses? you know, trying to figure out what the last updated document was, et cetera. And then you know that your solution is going to be a workflow tool. I'm using this as an example, of course. And that's a better way to come in than instead of saying, hey, team, I think we need a workflow tool. What you say is, I hear you, you're drowning in emails. I have a solution for that. So it's really about making, you know, your solution important to them. And that's how you affect change. And then, of course, you do it in baby steps, get one person on board. They love you. They're thrilled. They'll help market you, and then you know you go from there. Right, totally. Right, if, if, you, if you come in with you know the, the backwards way and say, "Hey, we have a cool solution," then it just feels like work or a burden to have to find a way to incorporate that. But yeah, if you go in with a, a problem you're solving for them, you're everybody's favorite. Exactly. So speaking of implementing tools and that sort of thing, let's talk about self service a little bit. You've articulated this tension before between wanting to you know sort of white glove clients. The lawyers want to white glove their clients. But also you have to give clients the ability to, to do some things without actually having to talk to a lawyer because that can also be onerous. Can you just talk about that tension a little bit, what it is and, and how to maybe get around it? Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Oh, it's such a good question because we get this a lot, right? Where GCs and, and legal teams will say to us, you know, I don't want this to feel like an IT ticketing tool. And I, you know, it took us so long to get a seat at the table and we don't want to lose that now by putting things out to self-help. And of course, and so what I say to them is, you know, when they say we want to white glove 
our services, we want to keep that seat at the table, then I say to them, then you better do self-help. And what I mean by that is, look, there's only so many hours in a day, right? And so if you work 10 hours a day or whatever it is that you work, if you're spending five of those hours digging through documents and trying to analyze stuff and answering the same questions over and over again and look for templates to send and all of that, you are one, look, all of us are, we are all spending time doing things that we're, we shouldn't be doing. Even me and I'm an efficiency expert, right? And I, I still know there's stuff that I could get rid of or stop doing altogether or hand off to somebody else. But this idea that we have to white glove every single thing is it's not the right way to look at it. How you really want to look at it is I need to be white gloving the really strategic things that my clients really need me for. And in order to free up my time and to do that well, I've got to kind of get rid of the mundane, right? And by the way, I would say, I think I'm right when I say this, your clients don't want to talk to you for the mundane. Think about when you do customer service, do you really want to pick up the phone and call Comcast, Xfinity or whatever? No, you want to do a quick chat, ask a question, or you want to be able to go to their website and see your latest bill or whatever quick thing that you want to do. You don't want to talk to somebody. So I would propose that most clients, no matter what the services that you're offering, if it's something quick and simple, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to spend the time doing that. So those are the things that you really can put out to self-help, you know, posting templates on your website, having, you know, and I know we're going to be talking about AI. I assume, Seth, you're going to bring that up because everybody wants to talk about that. So I won't get into that right now. But with a lot of these solutions, there are some great self-help options out there. And it does not feel like an IT ticketing system. It's really clean, easy to use. You know, these chatbots are a great example. And so they think about all of this stuff you've got, um, you know, within your corporate walls in terms of documents and policies and all of that. If you can query a quick question and have it answer you properly, that's a much better use of a bot's time, not a lawyer's time. And so, you know, this stuff will free up time for lawyers to actually then genuinely be at the table and be more consultative to their internal clients. And that is what your clients want. They don't want a 10-page analysis of a bunch of laws that they don't understand, and they're not going to understand that 10-page analysis. They want you to say, hey, you know, these new regulations are coming out. This is what this means for you. Now let's figure out how we can help you with your business, do it legally and ethically. That's what your clients want. And that's what's going to make you valuable. Not saying, oh, here's that NDA template that you were looking for. Right. Well, and speaking of the death of the billable hour, every time they have to ask you for something, there's dollar signs in their eyes, which we all understand. Even internally, Seth. Yes, that's a great point. You know, of course, when you're working with your law firm, you pick up the phone, you're paying for it. But um, even internally, first of all, when I was, you know, in-house, we did cross-charge a lot of the, you know, legal work back to the businesses. But even if you don't, yes, lawyers are an expensive resource. And so, you know, if you can, again, automate the the more mundane stuff, then they can be used at their highest and best use for the company. Well, and uh, you mentioned AI. I do want to talk about AI. Surprise particularly generative AI, because, you know, there's been so much hype about it this, you know, this past year, you know, for good reason, a lot of it's overhyped, but you know, on the legal side, a lot of it is the opposite, right? A lot of it's real doom and gloom. And there have been some, you know, some outright bans on generative AI from some firms. So I, I wonder what you think about the bans. And also, you know, on the other side, how do you think generative AI can and will revolutionize law? 
Yeah, I think law is one of those places that generative AI is really going to drastically change things. When you think about these large language models, you know, what AI always has been good at actually is taking tons and tons of data and distilling it down, right? I mean, you look at that with e-discovery work and with due diligence, it was always even old-fashioned AI, right? It was able to go through and pick responsive documents and all of that. When you look at these new large language models and you think about how lawyers work, it's information-based, right? And so GAI is definitely going to change how lawyers work and already is. We're already seeing it. I talk to a lot of companies about what their policies are on this now. And you're right. I mean, you've got some early adopters. They're just going all in. You've got that middle ground, which is like, okay, but hang on one second. We get it. We see that there's going to be big value, but we need to figure out an infosec policy around like who's going to use what and how it's going to be used. And then you've got that third category, which are there, as you suggested, they're just banning it all together. I think now, I mean, I'm very bullish on this technology and do, but do, you know, I recognize the potential risks and all of that. I think when you start moving towards that third category of banning it, you're putting yourself at a higher risk, in my opinion, because look, you're not going to get people to stop using chat GPT once they've already used it, right? You see how much time it saves. It's not perfect, but it saves time. I mean, there's no doubt that if you could have, if I, if I could be followed around by a first year, you know, all day long, who's going to pre-draft everything for me, and it was basically free, I would use that resource all the time. And that's what you've got available to you, right? It's not perfect. You're going to have to rewrite it. But it's certainly easier to start with something than starting from scratch. I mean, even last year when I was playing around with it, right at this time last year, I had to draft our family holiday newsletter. You know what I mean? You realize, wow, it can do a lot of personal things for you as well as work-related things. So I think, you know, a couple of companies I talked to said that they're probably two years away from using it because their companies have not banned it. They say, yes, we definitely want to use it, but we're two years away because they're exploring that. I think even that conservative approach, it's a realist, I would call that like a realistic but conservative approach because it does take time to really analyze all of this and understand what the ramifications are. But I still think that you're putting yourself at risk because I think that people will go rogue and use these systems on their own, you know, outside of the VPN or, or however it is that you're locking it down. But the good news is I think we're seeing some solutions put in place right away. This is my disclaimer. We're always vendor and tool and tech agnostic. So this is not any kind of, you know, plug for them. But there are tools like a Lega tool, L-E-G-A. I don't know if you've heard of them before, Set, but they're basically, and other tools like them are coming out, but they're basically like your interface for all GAI tools. And so they are your protective layer and it will direct you to the right resource. So if it's a quick question, chat GPT is the right answer. If it's like a more, you know, you have to do all kinds of research, then it's Westlaw. That's going to be the right answer or what have you. But it's like your portal for generative AI tools, but it also records everything in terms of, you know, it'll make sure that you're not putting in private company data. It adds that layer of security to ensure that you're not doing anything that you, you whether accidentally or, or on purpose, you know, that, that you're following the company's policies. So there are security tools that are coming out that will protect companies 
And I would suggest that they look at those tools sooner rather than later, just because I think it's like telling people not to use the internet at this point, go to the library and find this book, right? And and people are just not going to do that. They're going to embrace the technology a lot quicker than a lot of these companies are ready for. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that happens with every generation of technology trying to ban your employees from, you know, like from smartphones years and years ago. It's like, that's not going to go. People will find a way. So we're moving into the boilerplate section of the episode. So I, I wanted to hear from you. What is the best advice you've received in your career? I think, Seth, I've received a lot of good advice. Like I said, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of great mentors and people I think it's people in the legal operations world are so wonderful and w- willing to share and help you develop. But I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good bosses in my day, too. And I think there were two pieces of advice that kind of go hand in hand. And the one harkens back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, which was around, you know, kind of change management and how do you get people to move to new things. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made early on in my legal ops career was I knew that we needed technology. When I was at HP, I knew that we needed document management because everything was stored all over the place and you know nobody was really reusing knowledge. And so we would be asking law firms for the same piece of advice over and over again or the same memo or, or opinions and all of that and paying for it. And so I thought, you know, if everything is in one location, we'll be able to really get our arms around knowledge management and it's more secure and all of that. But I didn't do a good job selling that to other people. And so I kind of shoved it down their throats. And so, you know, I really learned and got advice from my supervisor about, you know, if again, if you don't make it important to them, it could be absolutely the right thing to do but nobody's going to do it. Right. And so going back to like an old saying, it's thy will, not my will. Right. And so, you know, you're there as an operations lead to support the team and to help the team figure out the best way to get the legal services delivered to the company, whether you're on the law firm side or the in-house side. And so, you know, it's really about helping them with their problems. And because you identify something and it could, again, it could be exactly the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that it's the right time. And so I I think really looking at doing the right things at the right time in order to support your teams the best is really important and not shoving things down their throat because they just simply won't adopt it. And the other thing is, It also goes along with the same thing. It's a little bit about ego, frankly, when you think about it, because you know that these things, again, are are probably the right things to do. But I think earlier on in my career is when I was in that chief of staff role, it was so important to really be seen as an independent person who's not taking sides. And so that's almost like more of around a soft skills and being a leader in the legal team. And so when you're in that chief of staff role, you're the proxy for the general counsel or the CLO. So people are coming to you with things that they're not quite ready to bring to the GC or the CLO. And you you really need to be seen as an advocate for the team. And so if you're seen as kind of instead a hatchet man, that's probably a terrible way to describe it. But if you're kind of seen as like, oh, the person who's always slashing and burning or just kind of, you know, imposing what the CLO or the GC want, 
across the department without being like, you know, when you're looking for consensus and getting people on board with things, it's a different approach, right? You can be all hammer and that will work for some things. But if you're all stick and no carrot, I think that people are going to respond to you in a different way. And so if you really genuinely want to be good at your job, and I think this applies for so much more than just that chief of staff and legal ops role, but you really have to be seen as somebody who's going to be an honest broker. You're, you don't have an agenda. And that goes back to my first piece of advice of not shoving things down people's throats that they don't want. You know, it's not your agenda. It's what's the right thing for the department at the right time. And so if you're kind of seen in that really honest broker type of role, that served me so well. I was able to win people over very easily. They came to me for advice and opinions. They, and I think that really served the GC very well because then they, I help those people go back and kind of reframe things and fully bake their half baked ideas. Right. And so they were, you know, more presentable for the GC. I think I ended up saving my GC a lot of time in the probably heartburn in the long run. And also, I, it made for a much better department, right? Because we were much more cohesive. We worked really well together. And so I think thinking about your role in terms of your being of service, you, you know, you're really there to help everything operate smoothly and keep the trains running and do that in such a way that you're, we, we like to call it work joy at up level. You know, we're bringing work joy to people, making them a lot happier. We're reducing friction points. And so that makes people a lot happier. And so. If we can kind of operate with that kind of attitude, I think that will make us really successful in our roles. That's great. And in closing, is there anything you want to promote or share about yourself or your company companies? And if people want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, thank you so much. Yes, we are here to support legal operations professionals. I think one, and GCs and CLOs, of course, I think one also, this probably falls under the advice category too, Seth, but one thing that we really want legal ops professionals to do is to advocate for themselves. You know, we never expect lawyers to know every single thing, right? We would never go to our employment counsel and expect them to know IP law. But for some reason, you know, legal op one legal ops manager is hired and, and the GC expects them to run this strategy, but also be the database administrators and implement technology and, oh, and do this data privacy tool and all of that. And so I think really we want legal ops professionals to advocate for themselves and raise their hands when they need help. And that's something that we certainly do at UpLevel. So we have a coaching line, you know, both formal and informal, and we help teams, you know, build out those three-year roadmaps so that they know what they're going to be doing and what their priorities should be and reducing those friction points. And it's everything. We really focus on people, process, and then technology to support that. And so if anybody out there, you know, has needs for their department or they're curious about what the next best thing is for their departments to be doing, we do that at up level. And if you're looking for a free resource, a free networking organization to and you're, you know, heading up a legal ops team, then you should definitely join Link. And I'm sure Seth will be putting those in the notes, but Link is the website is Link for Legal, L-I-N-K, Link for Legal. Dot com and you can reach me at Steph, S-T-E-P-H, at uplevelops.com. And I'd be happy to answer anybody's questions on all things legal operations and technology. Excellent. Thank you so much, Steph. Thanks so much for your, your wisdom and insights and experience. And I appreciate you having here. Yeah, great being here, Seth. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. 
You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community.